All right, turn your Bibles to John, and I want you to, anywhere in John will be fine, no, uh, John chapter 19, and I want to continue the series on the utterances from the cross. You say, you're not supposed to do that after Easter. Well, I don't believe Easter ought to stop preaching on the cross, amen? And I also be preaching on the resurrection a lot more, too. Uh, that's not on just on that particular Easter Sunday morning, amen? But I just pre- I appreciate so much uh, that song about the anchor. And my anchor holds in the finished work of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen? Thank the Lord for, for uh, these sayings. And I believe this sixth saying uh, summarizes all of them. And it's in uh, chapter 19 of John. Let's stand in honor of the word of God, and we're going to go with verse 29 and 30. John chapter 29 and 30. I wanted to preach on uh, how to uh, heal your sinuses this morning, but I, <clears throat> I couldn't find the message. And so y'all pray for me. I'm snorting and coughing, but it is not anything contagious unless sinuses are contagious. I'm more concerned about the stomach virus than I am anything right now because I ain't going to tell you who I spent the day with yesterday. But anyway, uh we need to thank God for our health and strength to be here. Say amen, and thank the Lord for this these two verses, and thank God. And by the way, the best way you can honor 29 years of faithful uh, leading singing and uh, leading the choir is join the choir. I want 29 new members in the choir uh, when we start it back up, amen, or at least 29 people up there, amen. So uh, we're singing not for Randy Team or Wayne Cofield. We're singing for the Lord, amen. And so thank God some of y'all just join up and let's just give it our all because I sure miss the choir and I'm looking forward to being back in May. The Bible says in verse 29, Now there was a set of vessel full of vinegar and filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon a hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you so much for the wonderful song service and that beautiful special that Lord reminds us <clears throat> that our anchor holds in thee. And God, that it's, a, that it's up in heaven. He, you're in heaven. And our anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And Lord, you're sitting on the right hand of God, ever interceding for us. Lord, thank you for the stability of the Christian life. Thank you for the security of our salvation. And thank you, dear God, just for the satisfaction of knowing you as our personal Savior. Thank you, Lord, for paying it all. And I pray, dear God, that on this shout, this proclamation of victory, that God will stop being defeated, will stop uh, being in the survival mode, and God, that we'll take new ground. And thank you, dear God, for what you've done this weekend and, Lord, how you've uh, protected my family this week. And thank you for touching Connie. And, Lord, we just thank you, dear Lord, for being so good to us. And so, Lord, thank you, dear God, for this privilege to preach one more time on this side of the rapture. And I pray it will be a blessing to your people and an encouragement to the lost to get saved. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says that he said after he took the vinegar, he did not take uh, the um, sedative. Uh, when he said, I thirst, they tried to give him a sedative, but he would not take it. But he did let them touch his lips with vinegar and clear his throat. And folks, I believe the reason was 
he wanted this one word, teletasia, in the Greek. And by the way, Greek uh, uh, says a lot, uh, much in little, uh, as someone said that the motto of Greek was. And uh, when he said, I thirst, it was really just one word. It was uh, dipso. And the sixth uh, saying uh, is just one word. It's teletasia, which means it is finished. It took three words in, in the English, to describe one word that he said in Greek. And so the Greek language is, is something else. But, folks, he did not say uh, he was finished. He said it is finished. And that's exactly what this word means when he proclaimed it. But he wanted it loud and clear. That's why he, he, had, he allowed them, and he took that vinegar uh, and, uh, and put a that was upon his mouth, and they put it to his mouth, and he received the vinegar. And he said, it is finished. It is finished. I want to preach just a few minutes on the proclamation of victory. I'm glad I'm living from victory, not trying to get victory. You know, a lot of people never seem to have victory in their Christian life. And I'll tell you why. You haven't went back to Calvary and, and, and uh, claimed and acknowledged and acclimated and applied the victory that was won at Calvary. The first song I ever sung in this church was behind a curtain, which was a good thing. And it was in a drama, Miss, um, what was her name? Hazel, not Hazel. Inez, Miss Inez Russell. She made me sing it, amen. And I submitted, and me and Brother Clay, we often got in trouble for cutting up during the drama practice, and we almost got kicked out of the first drama. We saw a lot of people saved through that drama. But I, pre, I, I sang, uh, uh, victory was won at Calvary. And I'll never forget that song, amen? I wish I could sing it again, but I don't know where it's at. I lost it too, Brother Randy. But I will tell you this, Fred, victory was won at Calvary. Can somebody smile at least about that fact? And folks, we're living in victory. All First of all, I want you to know some things that were finished at Calvary. Number one, the Scripture was fulfilled. I'm not saying the Scripture was finished. It was fulfilled. And I will tell you something, friend. If you're an unbeliever, you need to realize prophecy is one of the greatest proofs that the Word of God is the Word of God. And the Word of God tells you you're a sinner, and the Word of God tells you the only way to be saved is through Jesus. You ought to believe the book, amen? You ought to believe it that it's written, and you can know for a fact that you're saved. It's true, uh, folks, that there's no prophecy that remained about Jesus. Now, there were some other prophecies to be fulfilled. The passing of the Spirit into the hands of the Father, Psalms 31, verse 5. I'll preach on that next Sunday morning. The piercing of his body with a spear, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. The preserving of the bones unbroken, Psalms 34, verse 20. The placing of the body in a rich man's grave, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. But there remained nothing more for the Savior to finish. Everything was fulfilled. The prophecies which had to do with his uh, first coming, all of them had been fulfilled uh, in the Lord. Uh, so many, all through the Bible. The first one, Genesis 3.15, talks about the woman's seed and that his heel would bruise his head. Let me just say this, friend. The, the Lord's still in the head-bruising business when it comes to the devil. Amen? Don't you give the devil due. Thank God for the series in the, in the FBI about the, uh, the, uh, the theology of Satan. He is the defeated foe. Amen? And we give him too much place and too much power in our life. He was born of a virgin, Isaiah 7, verse 14, fulfilled it, 
Matthew 1.18. Uh, he was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, one of my favorite prophecies, um, 912 years before the fact. The seed, he would be the seed of Abraham, Genesis 22, verse 18. He'd be in the lineage of David, 2 Samuel chapter 12, or 7, verse 12 and 13. His name, uh, before, uh, he was named before he was born, Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1. He was to be a descendant of the tribe of Judah, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. These are all but a few of the many prophecies concerning Jesus. And when he said teletasia, translated, it is finished, I believe he was saying this, all scriptures being fulfilled by me giving my life, and I'll cry out, it is fulfilled, it is finished. John 17 verse 4 says this, I have finished the work <clears throat> which thou gavest me to do. Amen. What was that work? It was the work that you don't have to work for your salvation. Say amen. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, all these workers, um, Islamic, um, uh, Church of Christ, all of them think you've got to add something to belief to get saved. And folks, you don't have to add nothing because Jesus Christ's grace is enough. Can somebody please... A wink an eye or say amen or something, amen, blink something. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I never preach his messages because they're too deep, but I want to give you a quote from one of his messages. In his own masterful, majestic way, he said this. I want you to listen very closely, and I want you to understand he was the prince of preachers, and he was, he was very eloquent. He said this, there is not a single jewel of promise from that first emerald which fell on the threshold of Eden to that last sapphire stone of Malachi, which was not set in the breastplate of the true high priest. Nay, there is not a type from the red heifer down to the turtle dove, from the hyssop upon Solomon's temple itself, which was not fulfilled in him, and not a prophecy, whether spoken of Cherim's bank or the shores of Jordan, not a dream of a wise man, <clears throat> whether they received it uh, in Babylon or in Samaria or Judea, which was not fully wrought out in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful thing it is that a mass of promises and prophecies and types, uh, apparently heterogeneous, should all be uh, accomplished in one person. Take away Christ for one moment, and I'll give you the Old Testament to any wise man living and say to him, take this, this is a problem. Go home and construct in your imagination an ideal character who shall exact fit all that which is herein foreshadowed. Remember, he must be a prophet like unto Moses, yet a champion like Joshua. He must be an Aaron and a Melchizedek. He must be both David and Solomon, Noah and Jonah, Judah and Joseph. Nay, he must not only be the lamb, that was slain, he is the scapegoat that was not slain, the turtle dove that was dipped in blood, and the priest who slew the bird, but must be the he must he must be the altar, the tabernacle, the mercy seat, and the showbread. Nay, to puzzle this wise man further, we remind him of the prophecy so apparently contradictory that one should think that they never could meet in one man. Praise be to God, they did all meet in one man. The man is our Savior and our God. It is 
finished. Now, thank God for that. He said it a lot better than I could say it. I'm going to just say this, friend. Every time the blood was shed, every time the blood was shed, it was pointing to the Lamb of Calvary. Every time there was erected an altar, it was pointing to the altar of a hill called Calvary. And everything was finished as far as the fulfillment of the Scriptures when he said, it is finished, and he died in your place. He paid a debt that you could never pay, and that was the debt of your sin. Thank God. Then number two, I see that it was finished, the, the culmination of his personal suffering. Our Lord suffered. Suffering was not confined to physical pain. I've said this many times, and <clears throat> you probably get tired of some of my sayings, but uh, I hope you'll write them down after I'm dead and gone and, and um, you know, put them in a um, comic book or something. But anyway, um, you know, it, our sins weighed much more than the old rugged cross. Amen. The spiritual suffering was far worse than the physical suffering, but he physically suffered. And you ought to thank God that our Lord took your place. In other words, he took your hell at Calvary. He took your darkness. He took your loneliness. And folks, there's an unutterable sorrow and anguish to both the, his spirit and his mind. In Gen, uh, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 38, the Bible says this, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. He didn't say my body. He said my soul. The sorrow was part of the suffering. But he suffered physically. Yes, he did. He was holy, spotless, undefiled, showed love and kindness to all men wherever he went. I mean, he never uh, walked by somebody that, didn't, that needed him that he didn't stop. The disciples sometimes urged him, go on, we're in a hurry. We got this, we got to do this. We got to accomplish this kingdom march. But he stopped. And folks, yet he, he was misunderstood, criticized, threatened, beaten, spit upon, slapped, tortured, abused, and finally condemned to die. The shameful, humiliating death of a criminal on the cross. Listen as the scripture speaks of his suffering all through the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 6, he says, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid my face from shame and spitting. That's 743 years before the fact. He says that my back to the smiters, my cheeks, was, uh, uh, the beard was plucked out and off his, uh, off his face. And it's shame and spitting. I don't know about you, but if somebody spits in my face, I, you better pray that I'm full of the Holy Ghost in that moment. Amen? Because if I can grab a baseball bat, no, not really. Uh, I'll pray and say God loves you. But I want to say this. Our, our Lord did that. Thank God for him. In Psalms 22, I read this last week. In verse 7, the Bible says, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lips. They shake the head saying, Oh, folks, listen. I want to tell you something. Uh, the dark hours of Calvary are explicitly described in Psalms 22. And folks, it's the bulls of Basham as the demons of hell that bombarded his soul for you and I. Folks, that's finished when he, when he gave up the ghost. In Psalms 69 
in verse 20 and 21. The Bible says this, I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Now, folks, this is thousands of years, at least hundreds of years before the fact, and the Lord is describing exactly how horrible and horrendous the treatment that, that he received at the cross of Calvary. This was beyond wicked. This was hideous. They didn't really treat other uh, malefactors as bad as they did our Lord's because they, they despised him for moving in on their religion. See, a religious crowd can be a mean crowd. Say amen right there. I'm glad we're not just a religious crowd, but we're a crowd that has a relationship with the one that did all this for us. I love Isaiah. If you ever want to win a Jew to the Lord, you ought to go to Isaiah 53. Would you turn there with me? I love Isaiah 53. And I want to read this. I don't want you to see what he did for us. I want you to look at every word. The Bible says in verse 3, he was despised and rejected of man. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our face from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God. Smitten of God and afflicted. Look at verse 5. And he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Listen to this. All we like sheep have gone astray. You've got to get in on all that all. That first all means we all sin. There's not a person in here that's righteous enough to be saved or good enough. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Folks, you need to get in on that second all. Amen. All have sinned, but all can be saved. Amen. One powerful verse. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yea, he opened not his mouth. He, brought, he was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep before the shearers, dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? We ought to. For he was cut off of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave, this is prophecy, with the wicked, two malefactors, and with the rich in his death, Joseph Armathia gave his tomb because he had done so no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. But I want to get to verse 10. Here it is. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, that's us, those that are saved. He shall prolong his days, that's the resurrection, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. I'll stop right there, but I'm going to say this, friend. The suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ was predicted. 
And folks, it was not only predicted, Jesus Christ knew it. It was voluntarily. Nobody took our Lord's life. He gave his life. He could have called 10,000 angels. Isaiah said that he'd be dumb, that he'd be silent when he could have spoke one word and all the angels from heaven would have come to his rescue. It only took one to wipe out that crowd. But I want you to hear this. Several times he told his disciples that he was going to die, that he was going to suffer, that he'd bleed, he'd die. And he also told them three days later, up from the grave I'll arise. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, the Bible says this, from that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer, suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be what? Killed and be raised again the third day. Matthew chapter 17, verse 12. The Bible says, Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. In Luke chapter 22, verse 15, he said this, he said to them, with desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I, what? Suffer. He knew what was ahead. That's why he agonized in the garden, said, uh, not my will, but the, my, can this cup pass from me? And then he surrendered, said, not my will, but thine be done. It was a cup of the wrath of God that was about to be poured out on him. In Luke chapter 24, verse 25 and 26, then he said to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, we ought to believe the Old Testament about Jesus. Say amen. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? Ought not Christ suffer these things? I am the good shepherd, John 10, 11 says. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Nobody took it. He gave it. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. Therefore doth the Father love me, because I lay down my life, and I might take it again. Resurrection. Why didn't they hear it? No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. He was a man of sorrows. He suffered at the hand of man. He suffered at the hand of Satan. But I believe, as Isaiah said, he suffered by the hand of God. God bruised him. God killed him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe it will not, shall not perish. But why? Because he took your place. So back in Matthew 26, 38, he didn't say, my body sorrow. He said, my soul sorrow. The great suffering of Christ was physical, but it was spiritual, and now it's complete. When he cried out one word, it is finished. Then third of all, I want you to see that it's finished because of the completion of a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice. No one else could have died for your sins. There's no, there's no other Jesus. There is no other Savior. 
There is no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. The ideal sacrifice for sin is found throughout the entire word of God. It tells of a blood sacrifice. It has to be a blood sacrifice. And it's associated with sins of the human race all through the Bible. From the coats of skin that provided the covering for Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, it's the blood that was enough. It's the blood that shed. From Abel's lamb, it was the blood that was accepted. Not Cain's fruit or labor or Cain's work. It was the blood. It was the blood. From Noah's sacrifice, first thing he did after he built the altar and landed on dry ground was build an altar. He built an ark, but he built an altar. Genesis 8.20. And Abraham's lamb speaks of the Calvary. He'll provide himself a sacrifice, the Bible says, Genesis chapter 22. From the slain lambs in the Jewish home on the day of the Passover in Exodus points to the blood, points to the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb. You better believe it. The firstborn of every child was probably checking daddy. He said, is that lamb perfect? Did you examine daddy, that lamb, carefully? Because if it's not a lamb that was perfect, it wouldn't be accepted. And the blood was accepted. Folks, the bloody sacrifice offered by Aaron, the high priest in Leviticus chapter 1 through chapter 7, points to the perfect sacrifice. The river of blood which flowed endlessly from Solomon's Solomon's temple for 6,000 years of human history points to this verse, Hebrews 9, 27, without the shedding of blood is no remission of sin. When God gave instructions to Moses for the building of the tabernacle, there was one piece of furniture that was not in the tabernacle. There was no provision to sit down. There was no chair. There was an altar, there was a laver, there was a table, there was a lamp stand, the curtain, the veil, the lamp stand, but there was no chair, no place to sit down. Why? Because it was a never-ending, necessary atonement for sin. The priest had to sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice. And probably the people said, when can all this sacrifice end? Well, I'll tell you where it ended. When he said, it is finished. Thank God one day the world's redeemer came as the high priest, as the lamb of God, and one final sacrifice for sin, putting it to an end forever, he offered himself a perfect sacrifice. When he said it is finished, something miraculous happened. Yes, it was dark. Yes, the rocks rent, the graves open. I don't believe uh, the saints came out until after the resurrection because Jesus is the first fruit. Read that very carefully next time you read it. But praise God, something happened that's outstanding. The veil in the temple, the veil that separated the holy place from the holiest, where the altar sacrifice was, where the priest would go in on that day of Passover and take off that scintillating beautiful robe and put on an old linen ephod, old white robe representing putting on the flesh one day, amen, giving up the glory of heaven 
and becoming a human being for you, a man of sin, a man of sorrow. And thank God, the veil rent from the top to the bottom. Why? It was saying, never again will it be necessary to sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat because it is finished. It is finished. Does that that not thrill your soul? It's finished. Thank God we don't have to be going to the synagogue every Sabbath on Saturday and giving sacrifices. Thank God we don't get baptized or capsized or simonized for our salvation. Thank God it's finished. He was the perfect sacrifice. On the third day, he arose again, and he ascended to heaven. And he did something that no other high priest had ever done. He sat down. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. You looked at me like you didn't believe it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 and 12. Hebrews 10, 11 and 12. We'll close. Don't pack up. I close and close and close. I love to close. Amen. Hebrews 10, look at verse 11 and 12. This ought to make somebody backslid and shout. It says right here in verse 11, Hebrews 10, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering. Let's go back to verse 10. Chapter 10 of Hebrews 10. You with me? Say amen. Verse 10 says, By which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Isn't that a beautiful hymn? And every priest standeth daily ministering, standeth, standeth, uh, ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins for forever, set down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Look at verse 14. By one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. He set out. I'll tell you why he set out. Because it is finished. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. See, Hebrews talks about a better thing than religion, better thing than an earthly tabernacle, better thing, better person than a priest. It's the high priest, Jesus Christ. It's all better, better, better. And folks, the reason it's better is because there's nobody like Jesus. Amen? There's nobody like him. And there's nothing like his blood. 9.26, please. Hebrews 9.26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once... In the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Then Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, 2. says, look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy, who, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising his shame, and what is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So folks, the death, the burial, and the resurrection is important. But let me tell you this, the ascension is important too. And let me just tell you this, his arrival in heaven was important too because he sat down. (laughs) He sat down as the high priest saying, it's finished. Trust him. Rejoice in it. It is finished. Then last but not least, we see that the devil and death is finished. The completion of the perfect sacrifice, yes, but the conquest over the power of Satan 
and I should have added death. You know, I'm glad that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I'm glad, thank God, that there is a heaven. I'm glad that my loved ones that I've uh, seen get saved, I'll see them again. I'll see him again. Now, folks, if we're not, if there is no resurrection, we have no hope. We're just men most miserable. But I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 in closing. Hebrews 2, 14. It says, for much then, you with me? For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself took part of the same. That through death, through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That's Satan. He had the power of death. That is the devil. Folks, he rendered him disabled. The last enemy, as 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, and I had to, I, I, I had to read this. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26 or 27 uh, in, in the word of God, it says the last enemy is death, and death has been overcome by Jesus Christ. And so when he said it's finished, he said, devil, you're finished. And death, you're finished. And by the death on the cross, the Lord conquered death. Now, if you want to go to hell, you can go. If you want to live beneath your privilege and just exist, you can do that too. But folks, if you'll trust the finished, final, sufficient work of the cross of Calvary, the Lamb of God dying in your place, you can live forever and you can never die. And it's just a passageway. Until Calvary, Satan held the keys of death. You remember in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, when the Lord said, In the day thou shalt eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. And so Satan came in chapter 3 and says, You won't, you won't surely die. Now, folks, he's a liar and the father of all lies, John 8, 44. And he knew what God said, and he knew that furthermore that what God was going to carry out. He said, you're going to die, you're going to die if you sin. And our first parents chose to die when they turned themselves over to Satan. And they believed his lie. And thanks be to God, friend. Now keep in mind the fact that God, who pronounced the death sentence upon all sin, folks, he sent his only son to take the penalty of death. And thank God, the Bible says, through one man's disobedience, sin passed among all men. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, for the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The laws always said that sin will cause death. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. But thank God for Romans 5, 8. But God commended his love towards us, and while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. The way through the death, the way to, to live eternally is through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, see, he didn't remain dead. Three days later, up from the grave, he arose. And that receded the words, it is finished. I want to read just three or four more verses, and we'll go, I promise you. 1 Corinthians 15, where we were last week. And look at verse 53 through 57. You can back up to verse 27 if you want to. 1 Corinthians 
and look at it real closely. And I think uh, I think you ought to get excited about this. I sure am. First Corinthians 15, verse 26. The Bible says this, not 27, 26. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And then look, go to go to go to the last verses of this resurrection classic. Look at it, verse 53. This is something to smile about. This is something to rejoice about. This is something about this is something to sing about. This is something to preach about. This is something to witness about. Hey, this is something to live about. Amen. Look at verse 53. It says, And the corruptible must put on incorruption, and the mortal must put on immortality. So then this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He conquered both spiritual death and physical death, and he conquered Satan. He bruised his head when he only bruised his heel. And folks, he rendered him inoperable. And folks, I, I'm going to tell you something. When our Lord died on the cross and rose again, he took from Satan all power over death. And now Christ can say this in Revelation 1.18. Revelation 1.18. I am he that liveth and is dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Why? Because he said it is finished. Folks, all is finished that needs to be finished to complete God's plan of salvation. Can I repeat that statement? All is finished that needs to be finished to complete God's salvation. Nothing can be added to it. No work, no baptism, no keeping the Ten Commandments, no golden rule, no religion, nothing, nothing, of, of any works, none of these can ever save a soul. And folks, we need to rejoice in that our relationship is summed up in one word, done. And religion is always do, 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 always doing, 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 trying to get good enough. You'll never get good enough. Jesus was good enough. He was the perfect Lamb of God. He still is the perfect Lamb of God. And he died and he was buried and he arose and he ascended and he's sitting down on the right hand of God administrating your salvation. And you're saved past tense, you're saved present tense, and you're saved future tense because Jesus said it is finished. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for every scripture. Thank you, God, for every book in the Bible that points to Calvary, and I believe it's every book. And Lord, thank you, dear God, for who you are, the perfect Lamb of God, that your blood was enough. And when you cried out, Teletasia, it is finished. Oh, Lord, thank you the suffering was finished. You're in heaven enjoying the comfort of heaven, and I think you deserve it. And thank God you're there ever living to make intercession for us. Thank you the suffering is over. And God, thank you, dear God, most of all, 
that Satan's over. And Lord, I know he's trying to send his demons and devils to try to give us doubt and even fear going to the house of God and fear the things of God. And Lord, if somebody's trying to keep you out of the things of God, it's got to be the devil. And Lord, I pray, dear God, that we will have victory from this day forth, knowing that all things are accomplished. And folks, even in these last days of wickedness and darkness and sin and corruption, Lord, greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. That we are living and breathing in liberty and freedom and victory, all because the work of Calvary was finished. It was sufficient enough and will save whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord with every head bowed every eye closed I'm glad I didn't skip the sixth saying it is finished what an assurance what a peace what a rest is upon my soul knowing that I don't have to get good enough or stay good enough to be saved that thank God he was good enough to be my savior and I believed in him as an 11 and a half year old child that had nothing to offer God except belief. How many say, Preacher, I know I'm saved. I know for sure if I died today that I'd go to heaven. And I'm so happy in Jesus this morning. Would you slip your hand up as a testimony of you know that you're saved? Thank God. How many glad you say, Say amen. You ought to whisper thank you to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't say thank you to a man. You can't say thank you to a religion, but you sure can say thank you to the Lord because he was enough. He was the perfect Lamb of God. All scripture was fulfilled. All suffering was finished. Praise God, all the sin debt was paid in full through this precious blood. Is there anyone that could not raise your hand? You say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I tried to be religious, tried to be good, and I found out this morning, that's not enough. Or why did Jesus have to die for you? I mean, we're sloshing through the blood of Jesus saying, I got to work. I got to get baptized. I got to be a good Baptist. I got to be a good Methodist. I got to do this. I got to do that. Folks, listen, you don't have to go through all that ritual. What you need to do is have a relationship with a living God that sent his son, and that was enough. You say, preacher, I'm not saved, but I want you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand up real high for prayer and then back down? Say, please pray for me. Remembering your closing prayer. Anyone? I want to pray for you. It's the most I can ever do for you. I mean, say, preacher, this morning, I'm saved, but I know someone that's not. I even know someone that's trusting religion, trusting a cult, trusting in a man, an old sinner, trusting in a preacher, trusting in a priest, trusting in a ritual, trusting in themselves to be good enough. And I'm burdened for them. And I want you to please pray for them. Would you slip your hand up on their behalf all over this place? all over this place. And I'll pray with you and for them. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the cross and thank you for Calvary and thank you for your blood. And oh, Lord, what a Savior you are. Present tense, you are. Lord, you are the I am, not the I was. You ever liveth on the right hand of God and you're sitting down. Lord, for us, saying it is finished. The blood's enough. And I believe that. So, Lord, help us to get across to our relatives, our friends, 
those that we don't even know, those that's never heard the gospel, God help us to give them the one message that's truth. The one message that can change their life. The one message that can save their eternal soul. We'll thank you and praise you for the opportunity. In Jesus' name.